In the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he teaches his disciples and us what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, though a better, a better title, title for it might be the Disciples' Prayer, because in the Lord's Prayer, as we'll see, Jesus isn't praying a personal prayer. Instead, he's giving his followers a model, a pattern for how we should pray. Many of the Jews at this time in Jesus's ministry were praying lofty and lengthy prayers, hoping to gain the applause of others and the approval of God. But prayer must not be treated as an audition of any sort. Last Sunday in the first half of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples, and of course us, to pray to our Heavenly Father simply, directly, and humbly. And today, in the second half of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to lay our deepest needs at the feet of our Heavenly Father who loves and cares for us. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Our passage this morning consists uh, of verse 11 through verse 15, but for context, I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. And as you turn in your Bibles, or if you use a device, we use the English Standard Version. You're welcome to use a device to flip to that translation, be most helpful. As you turn there, let's be reminded that the Lord's Prayer is a very practical blessing. When we don't want to pray, we can pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. When we don't know what to pray, we can use the Lord's Prayer as a guide. When we have a lot to pray about, we can consult the Lord's Prayer to help us prioritize our requests. And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 7 through verse 15. Jesus to his disciples on the mount overlooking the Sea of Galilee says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses well neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder if for our prayer, we did this last Sunday, let's do it again. Let's pray together out loud the Lord's Prayer as it's written here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes. Amen. I've shared before that during my summer breaks as a college student, I worked as a painter on the household staff of a very rich man. I was brought on by him to serve him, to serve his family, to contribute to the betterment of his property, and I took the job very seriously. And while I did, the man and his head staffers, there were like 75 home staff members for this guy. It was like Downton Abbey in central Ohio. (laughs) But while I did, while I took the job very seriously and I, I served him as best I could, he and his head staffers took really good care of me. Uh, They fitted me with uniforms. They put leather, steel-toed boots on my feet. They provided me all the necessary tools, and they encouraged me to come to them immediately whenever I had need. On hot summer days, they would send around a hydration consultant to keep all, I mean, people working in the the, the orchard and all that stuff would literally keep us hydrated. He really cared for his staff members. Now, In a way, and all illustrations break down at some point in time, but in a way, I think that that illustrates the two-way nature of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. As God's people, we have been brought into God's household to serve him and to honor him when and how he asks for his namesake. And yet, In the same breath that we are to ask him to magnify his name and his kingdom and his will, Jesus also encourages us to ask our Father for provision and pardon and protection because he loves and cares for us and he wants to supply our deepest needs. God's glory and my good and your good, God's glory and our good are not at odds with one another. For the remainder of our time, let's consider the three needs that Jesus teaches us to ask for. These are are our three greatest needs in all of life. Number one, we'll look at provision. Number two, we'll look at pardon. And number three, we'll look at protection. Number one, provision. In verse 11, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day. Today, our daily bread. That is, provide for us today's most basic physical needs, like food and water. Most 21st century Americans enjoy the bounty of stocked refrigerators and cabinets and pantries, and we might feel a bit detached from this particular request, But the same is not true for the first century Jews who surround Jesus on the mount as he delivers this sermon. Most of them were paid one day at a time. And because their daily wages went directly toward their daily food, imagine what would happen if they got sick or injured or if work were delayed for any reason. It could spell tragedy. And so... For Jesus' first audience there on the mount, give us this day our daily bread, was a 
petition of precious urgency. I don't often think to ask God for my most basic needs. I don't think I'm probably alone in that, but I'll just speak for myself. As I worked on this very message this week, I drove home for lunch or a quick cup of coffee almost every day, and sadly, it never crossed my mind to ask God for what I knew was waiting for me at home. This is an issue of self-sufficiency. I often thank God for his provisions, but wouldn't it deepen? Wouldn't it take my gratitude to a different level if I were asking and relying on God to provide it in the first place? Here's a silly illustration, but I think it's fitting. When we go to the bank to withdraw money that we deposited into our account, you know, the teller brings it out and don't we, we thank the teller for what? Bringing me my money that's already mine? Well, yeah, I mean, I do. I thank him for that or her for that. But what if we were to ask the teller to go and retrieve money that we hadn't deposited into our account? Our account was empty. Not only would this be illegal, uh, so don't do it, but the point is as if he were or she were to actually bring us money that they had deposited into our account, there would be a different spin to our gratitude. You've just provided something I asked you for that I didn't have. I'm so grateful. And now I'm going to go to jail. (laughs) I think, I hope that you follow the logic on When we ask and when we rely on God to provide us with basic needs, our gratitude, when those basic needs are provided, our gratitude can't help but be elevated. When we wake up in the morning and ask God to provide us with food and water and basic physical needs. It is an act of war against self-sufficiency. When we wake up, and yes, there's food in the fridge downstairs and in the pantry, but oh Lord, all good things come from you. Would you but provide for me what I most basically need today? We set ourselves up when we pray that. We set ourselves up for a day of reliance and gratitude and worship because then from then on, every bite and every sip, it's an answer to prayer. It's a gift. It's a gift that we recognize as a gift because we've asked and relied on him for it. I'm not in charge of the food in my pantry. Who knows? It could be spoiled by the time I get there. Oh, Lord, please, you've provided those things. Please provide them so that I can eat them and enjoy them and be nourished. It sounds silly. I think it's important. Brothers and sisters, tomorrow morning, if God gives us a new day after a safe night's rest, what if, what if we didn't check our phones first thing? Or go for a jog first thing or prepare ourselves some breakfast first thing. Instead, what if we set the tone for a good and godly day by taking 30 seconds to pray, 
Maybe a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, let your name, your kingdom, and your will hold sway today in the world, in my home, and in my heart. Give me work to do and strength to do it. And please, Lord, provide today's most basic needs for me and my loved ones because all good things come from you. There's more that we can and will add to that prayer. But suffice it to say this, to sincerely pray the Lord's Prayer each morning, well, it might just reorient and revive us before we even get out of bed. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, and... Forgive us our debts. Here, Jesus moves from our greatest physical need to our greatest spiritual need. Do you see the the emphasis, the priorities that Jesus is giving to these things? Point number two, pardon. Our debts are the payment that we owe to God for breaking his righteous law. In America... Whenever we are found guilty of breaking the law, we are indebted to pay a penalty. I was just slapped with a speeding ticket. Confession and also I'm looking for a little bit of sympathy. (laughs) But this justice system of ours, we've copycatted it. It's God's justice system. This is also, at this point in time in the prayer, this is also where we know that Jesus is not praying the Lord's Prayer for himself. Because Jesus, well, he was tempted in every way that we are, but he upheld God's law perfectly. He never once sinned, and therefore he had no debt of his own that needed to be pardoned. The same is not true for us, however. Whether in thought or word, or attitude, or action. We have all repeatedly sinned and repeatedly fallen short of God's righteous standard. Let me bear into this a moment. Every time we have done what God's word forbids, we have accrued debt. Every time that we have not done what God's word commands, we have accrued debt. Every time that we have partaken in idolatry, sexual immorality, selfishness of any kind, greed, gossip, deceit, self-righteousness, the list goes on. Every time we've partaken in those things, we have accrued debt and the debt must be paid. If you were to add up And if I were to add up the number of times that we have violated God's law, wouldn't it be fair to say that we have amassed an insurmountable debt? No matter how good we might appear on the outside, no matter how much better we might appear compared to someone else, each one of us This is the sobering bad news. (laughs) Each one of us has amassed a debt so large that death is the only fitting penalty because 
God is holy. He's wonderful and righteous and just. He by nature cannot disregard lawlessness. And he won't. He won't. And so, here are the two options that you and I and everyone on earth has. We can either pay the debt we owe ourselves or we can cast ourselves onto the marvelous mercy of God. When we pray, as Jesus teaches us to pray here, when we cry out for forgiveness, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. On the cross, let me get explicitly all about the good news for a moment. On the cross, Jesus paid a debt that was not his own in order to pardon those whose only other option is to pay it themselves. When we turn from our sin and trust in our hearts that the Lord Jesus is the resurrected son of God who paid our debt, we examined this last week, we're no longer orphans without home, hope, or future. We are now adopted sons and daughters of our heavenly father who sees us right now as he sees his only begotten son, perfect, blameless, righteous. Our every sin, past, present, and future in Christ has been removed from us. And so now, when we pray, forgive us our debts, our fingers aren't crossed hoping for a stroke of luck. Our eyes are on the cross where we are reminded with deep confidence, gratitude, and joy that we have been and are and will be forgiven forever. Whoever that was, I have it written in my manuscript, hallelujah. You took the words right out of my mouth. Hallelujah. What good news. Once we begin to understand the enormity of the debt that God has forgiven of ours, how on earth could we not forgive others for the sins they commit against us? This is Jesus' logic in the second half of verse 12, as well as verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, that is, if you refuse to pardon someone else's trespasses, neither will your Father pardon you. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Hear this. Our forgiveness of others does not earn God's forgiveness toward us. Only Jesus can do that, and he has. Instead, when we extend forgiveness to others, we demonstrate, well, we understand the gravity of our own sin, and we cherish the fact that God has forgiven us anyway. We have been forgiven so that we can forgive others. Now, this could take a whole different rabbit trail in terms of what exactly that means. There are great offenders in probably all of our lives 
Is, does forgiveness mean immediate reconciliation and regular fellowship? No, not necessarily. Thomas Watson says this, we are not bound to trust our offender. We're bound to forgive him. We're bound to not hold the debt over his head as if he owes me something in order to be right with God. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we jump right back into a reconciled relationship. We can talk about that as the text leads another time. That's not what it's saying here. And so I will say no more. And forgive us our debts as we also have, oh Lord, forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here, Jesus moves from our greatest spiritual need. We've seen our greatest physical need, now our greatest spiritual need. And we might actually call this our greatest conservational need to conserve us. We need protection, point number three. Now, the whole of Scripture is quite clear. Our Heavenly Father does not tempt us to sin any more than He can be tempted to sin Himself. Not only that, but why? Why would God have sacrificed His Son to rescue us from that which He tries to lure us back into? It doesn't, the Father does not tempt us. The evil one, Satan, does this. He and his legion of demons, they are not all-knowing. They don't know everything like God does. Only God knows that. But Satan and his legion of demons can simply observe us and look for the ways that we are weak and tempt us in those ways. So the plea in verse 13 is not God Please don't tempt us to sin. That's not what Jesus is getting at. It's God, please lead us away and deliver us from any and all situations in which the evil one tempts us where we are weak. This is a preventative petition. It puts out fires before they begin, so to speak. The problem is that I don't pray it nearly often enough. And when we do pray it, though, we've seen this kind of double negative. Our Heavenly Father won't not protect us when we ask Him, for sure. For those of us who have put our hope in Christ... God has freed us from the penalty of sin, but his kindness and his mercy toward us do not stop there. For those of us who put our trust in Christ, God has also freed us from the power of sin. We are no longer bound to return to it. We are no longer shackled helplessly to our temptations. So, brothers and sisters, tomorrow morning, if God gives us a new day after a safe night's rest, before we check our phones or go for a jog or eat our breakfast, oh, that we would take 30 seconds. Father in heaven, let your name, your kingdom, and your will hold sway in this world 
in my home and in my heart. Give me work to do and strength to do it. And please, please provide mine and my loved one's most basic physical needs today for all things uh, come from you. Forgive me for the debts that I will accrue and help me to embrace your forgiveness toward me by extending forgiveness to others. And Father, lead me away from Oh, that I would pray this. Father, lead me away from idolatry and sexual immorality and greed and gossip and vainglory. And the list goes on and on and on. By the blood of your son, Father, those empty sins have no hold on me. I am no longer shackled to that which depletes me of the good godly life that you have purchased and given to me. The Lord's prayer is a gift. It's very practical. It's very blessed. When we don't want to pray I, I'm confessing straight up, I call them block walks where I go for, I don't want to pray often and will tell my wife, guess what, block walk, I'm gonna go around and all I can get myself to pray, confession, Lord's Prayer. And yet, is that all I can get my, no, 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 no. I get to pray the Lord's Prayer. We all get to discipline ourselves. When we don't wanna pray, we pray this and we trust it. When we don't know what to pray, we can glance at it, we can remember it, we can memorize it, we can pray it word for word, or we can follow it in thought for thought. When we have a lot to pray about, oh, we can look to this and help it and use it by God's grace to help prioritize our requests, especially knowing this. Remember, God's glory and your good are not at odds with one another. As God's people, we have been brought into his forever household to serve and to honor him when and how he asks, yes, for his namesake, for his glory, and in the same breath that we are to ask our Father to magnify his name, his kingdom, and his will, we also get to ask him to cry out to him for Basic provision for needs, not greeds. That on that list, I wish were a Ford Bronco, the new one. It's not, it's not, it's not. We get to cry out to him though for our basic needs. He wants to supply. We get to cry out to him for pardon. We get to cry out to him for protection. And he won't not answer. He loves and cares for us and wants to supply our greatest need. Look, if any of us need reminded that God's glory and our good are not opposed to one another, just look at the cross. The cross where love and justice, where mercy and wrath collide on Christ. That is the absolute pinnacle of God's glory. Yet at the same time, it is also the emblem for just how much the Father loves us. You see, both end. Oh, that we would be experts at praying the Lord's Prayer. Maybe even before we pop our heads up off our pillows because God is glorious 
and he loves us and wants to provide. That is the Lord's Prayer. Would you join me for a prayer and then we will sing together again. Oh, Father, that your name would be hallowed here in this place and in each of our hearts. That we would desire your name, your kingdom, your will to hold sway in all matters, trusting that your will is always perfect, it is always good, it is always on time. And while we humble ourselves before you as your people brought into your household by your grace, help us to remember even more gloriously than my boss once cared for me while I worked in his household. You are very much concerned for us. You love us and you desire to provide, to pardon and to protect Oh, that we would call upon you and that our gratitude would be lifted to new heights, that we would see every bite of food and every sip of drink as what it is, a gift given to us by the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We love you because you have first loved us and we ask for your glory, for our good, for our heart's joy that you would do these things in Jesus' name, amen.